Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is January the 3rd, 2022. This is the first show of the new year. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope 2022 will be um, certainly a, a better year in terms of COVID than 2021. And I hope you will have happy, healthy, and prosperous New Year's. Um, back in 2021, last week, actually, I did a show with the... Um, the the the, uh, ge the 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 geographer Tim Marshall, very popular um, geographer, uh, a writer. He has a new book out, "The Power of Geography: Ten Maps That Reveal the Future of Our World." Um, some of the maps included outer space, Iran, Turkey, Sahel. Uh, but one map that wasn't included in 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 Marshall's uh, ten maps that reveal the future of the world any maps of cities. And today we're actually talking about a particular cities, uh, but also cities in general. We've done shows on cities before. We did uh, Thomas uh, Deja's wonderful book about uh, New York City. Um, we talked last year to both uh, David Cutler and Ed Glazer. Um, uh, excuse me, uh, Ed Glazer, um, uh, authorities on the city. Uh, we even did a show um, about Antwerp, uh, 16th century Antwerp, a, a kind of a world city um, that uh, rose and fell uh, in, in a very short period, within 50 years. Uh, today, we are talking about perhaps the greatest city in the Western tradition, Athens, uh, City of Wisdom. There's a new history out by... Uh, Bruce Clark, the Northern Ireland-based uh, writer. He is writer of history, culture, and ideas at The Economist. Uh, and Athens is his second book. As I said, he is joining me uh, from uh, Northern Ireland, uh, where he lives. Uh, Bruce, you spent a lot of time writing about Athens. This is a very significant book, a historical, cultural, political study. You were The Economist's man in Athens for a while. Why have you invested so much of your time in this book? Well, it goes back, to speak personally, it goes back to my childhood almost. Um, I mean, I had a facility for both uh, ancient and modern Greek uh, that goes back to my teenage years. Um, I studied ancient Greek. I converted it rapidly into modern Greek. I spent four years of my 20s in Athens as the first expatriate Reuters correspondent in that city. Um, I, what years were they? Uh... They were the mid-80s, uh, 82 to 86. So it was quite turbulent years. Um, Greece had a socialist government uh, full of fiery rhetoric, lots of demonstrations. and were there, Was that the government of one of the Papandreou? That's right, yes. That was Andreas Papandreou, was newly in office. Uh, and he was fanning the flames of socialist passion uh, as hard as he could. And it was an exciting time to be in Athens. Were you uh, uh, a Greek speaker? Did you study Greece uh, as an undergraduate? Uh, not as an undergraduate, because I had done uh, quite a lot of ancient Greek at school. Um, and I did my Oxford and Cambridge entrance papers in ancient Greek. Um, and then I kind of switched to modern Greek. 
Uh, and before even going to university, I spent six months at Athens University and got a diploma in modern Greek. So really, so even back then, I was a bit of a modern Greek specialist. Uh, and so, but I didn't do it as my undergraduate degree. I did uh, philosophy and political science. Bruce, what is it about um, highly well-educated British people in Greece? We've done so many shows on, uh, we, we had uh, Paul Cartledge on, uh, your friend on the show actually introduced me, I think, uh, to you. Um, he is a prolific writer on Greece. Um, we had Armand Dango, a Cambridge uh, University professor, uh, and we had Roddy Beaton on, uh, another uh, Anglo authority on Greece. What is it about Greece that um, inspires well-educated Brits like yourself to, de to dedicate your lives to understanding, writing, studying? Well, I mean, ancient Greek civilization and ancient Greek literature is vast, um, and you can pick from it what you like. Um, and maybe, you know, the beginnings of the Greek, uh, the British love affair with Greece, um, you know, well, the, 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 well, they go back to, I suppose, the late 18th century, um, you know, the era of the gentleman travelers making the grand tour, uh, you know, at, at a time when, you know, w wealthy young individuals from Western Europe felt that they could sort of um, cover themselves in classical Greek stardust, you know, if it was just... Uh, in some sense or other, recuperating the civilization of ancient Greece and get back home to their own countries, uh, whether whether in terms of knowledge or in a more physical sense. Um, so the British love affair with Greece has been in progress for some time. I mean, just to take one thing, I mean, in you know the great historian Thucydides um, and the statesman Pericles, as described by Thucydides, you know, we have a magnificent sort of ideologue of democracy um and if you like um of the concept of a sort of a liberal empire um in the sense that you know athens in the age of pericles was very democratic in its uh, domestic affairs um uh, compared with other greek city states um but nonetheless i mean it was prepared to act ruthlessly in its own interests uh in more far-flung places um so democratic at its core and yet sort of uh, you know, imperialist on the periphery, if you want. Uh, and you can see how that resounded with uh, you know, Victorian Britain. Um, and uh, and perhaps also even contemporary America. Um, yes, indeed, yes, yeah, yes. Um, we, um, another writer we had on the show uh, quite recently was another English writer on cities, Ben Wilson. Um, he has an interesting book out, Metropolis, A History of the City, which he calls Humankind's Greatest Invention. How do you place Athens in the history of cities? Uh, you call it the city of wisdom. It's not the first city, but is it the first wise city? Is it a first city built around uh, literacy, reading, democracy? Well, in, yes, in a sense, it's, well, it's certainly highly unusual in history in that sort of um, the generation of artistic excellence, of intellectual excellence, um, and the export of those products was sort of one of its unique selling points. I mean, if you read what you know Thucydides has to say about Athens and Attica and why it became great, it's actually quite a sophisticated analysis. I mean, he says that, I mean, in a sense, what um, you know, the secret of Athens is that it, its soil is not all that fertile. Uh, you know, you can grow uh, some olives there, you can produce some wine, but you can never uh, uh, 
grow enough wheat to, to supply the local population. Uh, so it has to be an extrovert city. Uh, it has to be exporting something and it has to be uh, running a fleet that can bring uh, merchandise from other places, including food. Um, uh, and I mean, he, he felt that this sort of, in a sense, the relative poverty of the soil of Attica uh, was what uh, you know, gave a certain energy to the Athenians uh, and made them into an extrovert power. Uh, and indeed, you know, uh, one of the principal export products uh, and something which lasted way, way beyond the apogee of Athens as a geopolitical force was precisely you know, intellectual talent. Um, so seven or eight hundred years after the high point of ancient Athens, you know, people were still uh, coming to Athens to study, um, to learn ancient Greek literature, uh, and in some way or other to cover themselves in the magic of that glorious moment which had occurred in the Periclean era. You call it a, a glorious moment. How long did that moment last? Well, I mean, some people would date it in, uh, between you know, the great victories of uh, Marathon and Salamis, uh, you know, a victory sort of on, on the beach and then a victory at sea over the Persians. That was in the first sort of 20 years of the, of the fifth century. Um, the, the 50 years which started after those victories and then uh, in, in a sense you know, came to an end or came off their peak. Uh, at the beginning of the big war against Sparta, um, so roughly between 480 and 430 BCE, were sort of the golden years. Oh, hello, yeah, so it lasted about 50 years. As I said at the beginning, we had Michael Pye, another English writer on cities. Uh, he had a wonderful. He has a wonderful new book out on Antwerp, the rise and fall of uh, Antwerp as a world city. He suggested it only lasted about 50 years. Do the great cities um, only last 50 to 100 years? Do you think? Well, in a sense, I mean, one of the fascinating things about Athens is sort of how magnificent and slow its decline was. Um, because it's still you know, declining, some people might judge. Well, you, you might, you might look. It's still, I don't know. It's, it's something quite different is going on. Yes, it's a very, it's a, in a very precarious place. Uh, we can, yes, we, we, we can talk about modern. Well, Greece we'll talk well. about modern Athens uh, in, in the in second half of the show. Yeah, 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 yes, yes. But I mean, right. So, so, I mean, people compare, you know, the 431, 430 BCE to the year 1914 in modern history. Uh, you know, the start of a huge, multi-fronted clash between Athens and Sparta. Uh, whose end result uh, was, on the face of things, disastrous for Athens. I mean, at the end of that 30 years, Athens was deprived of her fleet and her colonies, and really, you know, on the face of things, a spent force, even in Greek affairs, let alone further afield. Um, and yet, you know, throughout that 30 years, uh, there, there were still magnificent dramatic productions, uh, you know, still wonderful history was being written, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Plato's philosophy lay in the future. Um, so, I mean, e e even as the city was sort of fighting for its life um, in a bloody and unsuccessful war, uh, it was still able to generate superb cultural products. And, and that actually continued into the fourth century. I mean, Athens never quite regained uh, its height, but nonetheless, you know, it was a, it was a respectably important power uh, in Greek affairs and even regained a little bit of its maritime prestige. Um, and certainly, you know, it, 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 its democracy flowered anew, having virtually collapsed. Um, so right. well, let's talk, uh, Bruce, a little bit about democracy. Of course, it's not possible mm -hmm. to go these days to Athens without 
seeing the Acropolis for people watching. Here we have the image of the Acropolis from the uh, balcony of the Grand Britannia Hotel in Parliament Square. Um, the Acropolis, of course, being perhaps the most famous of all cultural relics, not just of Greece, but of any uh, historical period. Um, I also do a show called How to Fix Democracy, um, which we talk about the impact of Greek and uh, the, the democracy of antiquity on contemporary world. And I had a woman called Rosalind, um, actually a, a Canadian who lives in Ireland now, Rosalind Fuller. I don't know if you know her, Bruce. No, I'd love to. She has a new book out suggesting mm -hmm. that um, Athens really was the birthplace of mm -hmm. democracy. What's your take on Athens and democracy and the role, of course, of the Acropolis in all this? Um, and, of course, um, goes without uh, saying uh, the, and I'm going to pronounce this correctly, the Pnix, that yes, public indeed, space the that, um, beneath yeah, yeah, the yes. Acropolis, which is so famous supposedly as the, the place yes, where, yeah, yes. where uh, democracy was born. Yes, indeed. I mean, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, the, the, the place really, in theory, you know, where more tourists should go is precisely the Pnix, the place where... Well, there's nothing there. I've been there. I, in fact, made a film there. The problem with the Pnix is it's fascinating conceptually, but it's just really an empty space beneath that's, the Parthenon. That's true. That's, that's, that, 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 that's true. But, another, you know, but, but uh, you know, something could be made of it. And, of course, you get a wonderful view of the Acropolis, don't you? Absolutely. The Acropolis was, you know, uh, for most of its history, I mean, it was seen above all as a sacred place, as a place of worship. Um, you know, a, a place of where, where monuments were erected in, uh, in in sort of brimming gratitude to the gods uh, and to, uh, to Athena above all, uh, who were held to be responsible for the success of Athens. Um, and certainly, you can interpret the architecture and the sculpture on the Acropolis, which are really ordered up by Pericles as a celebration of Athenian democracy. You know, a, a, a celebration of the whole self-understanding of the Athenians as a unique place, uh, but it wasn't, you know, a place of democratic decision making. On as as, as you say, I mean, that all that happened on on the Pnyx. Uh, what about the reappearance of Greek democracy in the form of citizen assemblies? Um, you're in Northern Ireland. The, yeah, yeah. the 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 Irish Republic to the south of you has been pioneering experiments in citizen assembly. The the idea of the lottery was this important in, in in ancient Athens? Was it the heart of democracy? The notion of citizens being uh, required through lottery to participate in their local affairs. Uh, yes, I, I certainly think that was a unique and extraordinary feature of Athenian democracy. That many many public offices were determined by lot, um, including you know, jury service, which is very very important. I mean it, the. the I mean, political decision making was only one feature of Athenian democracy. You know, the the fact that you know you, you had an, an elaborate, I mean, both simple and sophisticated legal system, um, uh, with you know juries that were determined by lot and therefore couldn't be fixed. Uh, that was a very and and, and the principle of isonomia, equality before the law. Uh, that was likewise very, very important and, and, and groundbreaking. And you know, in, in, in a sense, Athens became sort of the capital of law in the Greek world. I and mean, just as you might say, the London That's its innovation. Uh, yeah, so yeah. would you say that um, Armand Dango has a new book out on uh, 
innovation in the um, ancient uh, Greeks. The Athenian contribution to innovation is political, do you think, above all else? Political and, and, and legal and, and, and philosophical, of course, certainly. Um, yeah, we haven't even mentioned Socrates yeah. yet. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, is he yeah, the most yeah. famous Athenian of them all? Well, certainly, look, I mean, in, think, in, his, it, look, in his time, he was certainly regarded as the wisest man in Athens. He was also a highly provocative figure. Um, and, but also the loyalist. He died because he didn't want to be expelled from the city. Is that important in the history of Athens? Uh, yes, I think it is. I think it's very, you know, and the fact that he, uh, you know, there's a, a, well, the whole story of the trial and self-defense and condemnation of Socrates is an extraordinary thing. I mean, why, I mean, and, and uh, it's still fascinating for us to read his speech in self-defense, which is very humble at certain times and very arrogant at certain times as well. And also classically uh, Socratic, I guess, in that in, sense. Indeed, absolutely, <laughs> classically Socratic. And I mean, and yes, and his line that he would not you know, do anything extraordinary to defend himself or, or protect himself from the death penalty because, you know, he had lived under the laws of the city uh, and therefore he must be loyal to those laws. I mean, there was something uh, extraordinary and dignified about that. And you can you can certainly argue that by his act of self-sacrifice, um, he brought a certain peace to the internal affairs of Athens. Uh, that you know, fr from his death onwards, uh, although you know there was still plenty of skirmishing between different Greek city states, um, the kind of the internal conflicts of Athens palpably died down after the death of Socrates, as though people were shamed into burying their quarrels and you know limiting the internal struggles of Athens after that. His ghosts, perhaps, or his ghost, the, the ghost of Socrates, perhaps sometimes haunts the back streets of even contemporary Athens. We are talking with Bruce Clark, the author of a wonderful new book, Athens, City of Wisdom, A History. Um, Bruce, uh, we've spent uh, the first half of the show talking about ancient Athens, Socrates, the city-state, foundations, the Acropolis. I want to fast forward in the second half of the show and talk about modern Athens. Uh, so we'll be back, Bruce, in about 60 seconds. Hold tight, everyone. And we'll talk again uh, with Bruce Clark, the author of Athens, City of Wisdom. Hi, everyone. Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it. But I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. Uh, if you're into watching this, as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub 
live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now back to Keynote. We are talking with Bruce Clark, the author of Athens, City of Wisdom, a new history uh, of the great Greek city. Um, we spent the first half of the show talking about the, the Athens, not the Greece, the Athens of antiquity. It's, of course, very important to distinguish Athens from Greece. Athens isn't Greece, and Greece is not Athens, although in a contemporary sense, Greece is perhaps, I think, a, a larger capital city than almost anywhere else in the world. Um, a few weeks ago, we had Roderick Beaton on the show, a historian, another uh, British historian of Greece, talking about the Greek Revolution of 1821. Of course, it was the 200th anniversary, 200th year anniversary of that revolution uh, last year. Now we're in 2022. Um, Bruce, a lot happened, of course, between the death of Socrates and the fall of, of, of Athens as a city-state and uh, the Greek Revolution of 1821, much of it is forgotten. Uh, we can't, of course, deal with all of it. But very briefly, what happened between the fall of Athens and the rise of an independent Greece at the beginning of the 19th century? Well, after, after Athens ceased to be an independent force uh, in the affairs of the Mediterranean, um, I mean, well, it was dominated, you know, first uh, by the Macedonians, uh, then by the Romans, uh, and it retained its cultural importance under the Romans for a very, very long time. Uh, was to... it um, was it Britain to America, as Christopher Hitchens famously said? Did the did the Greeks look up to Athens as the place where their world, their civilization, was originally born? Uh, very much so, very much so. I think, you know, the, 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 the Romans were fascinated by Athens and everything it stood for. They really, some of them, like Emperor Hadrian, had an absolute obsession with Athenian civilization. Uh, and, and that was reflected in bringing Athenian architectural styles to Rome, uh, to you know, uh, even grooming Athens as the center of a kind of Greek commonwealth. Um, so, so bigging up Athens almost, but with a very important uh, rider that the democracy bit was forgotten. Uh, so that the conveniently, Roman, indeed, absolutely. But they, they, perhaps the Romans, ultimately, as the Americans will conveniently forget European democracy in this country. But that's well, another yes, story. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes uh, Bruce, let's let's move on. Right, and and then right. I mean, a, a pretty dark age between um, uh, five hundred and a thousand uh, of the Common Era. Honestly, not not too much record about what was happening then. Dark age meaning, yeah. and I love dark ages because yeah, they're yeah. dark. Um, were there bands of brigands, vandals, Slavs of one kind or another? What happened? Ethnically and culturally, um, well, I mean, I mean G G G Greece in general was subject to a series of Slavic invasions. Uh, you know, Athens was you know, a, a, a very modest town, uh, you know, under the aegis of the Byzantine Empire. Um, I mean, some, some distinguished empresses uh, came from Athens, uh, but you know, they they reached their distinction in 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 Constantinople, not in Athens. So, 
uh, we don't know much about sort of what, what reality they came from, so to speak. Um, and, and and so all, all, all the markers of, of, of civilization, water supply, for example, we see you know, uh, degenerating completely sort of from the 600 onwards. Um, and then sort of from around 1,000, we see Athens re-emerging as a you know, modestly important Byzantine town and pilgrimage center. So the Parthenon, having been you know, the temple to Athena, uh, becomes a significant place of veneration of the Virgin Mary. Uh, and people, including emperors, come from far and wide to venerate the Virgin Mary at the Parthenon, uh, which is seen as a particular sort of locus of her cult. Um, then there's a period of so-called Frankish rule, where various West European dynasties and forces, Frankish... So essentially, uh, sort of yeah. the equivalent of uh, football hooligans, uh, thugs, uh, crusaders essentially ran the place, didn't they? Yes, I mean, of varying levels of sophistication. I mean, you had, you know... Uh, well, some I mean, football hooligans are quite sophisticated. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But then probably, you know, in, 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 in the dim Greek memory, the least sophisticated were the Catalan mercenaries who ran the place for sort of 90 or so years. And what the, happened the to the remains? Did they just, as in Rome, were they just sort of sitting in people's gardens? People would stroll through them and have basically disinterest in what happened before? Did people still look up to the Parthenon or the Acropolis and in awe and think, wow, this must have been remarkable hundreds or thousands of years ago? Well, the, the Acropolis and its monuments never lost its importance. Um, you know, bear, bear in mind that you know, the Parthenon became you know, a very significant Christian church. Um, right. First of all, Greek Orthodox and then Roman Catholic for 200 years. Um, and then, then a mosque when the Ottomans took over. Um, so certainly those uh, monuments that were on or immediately around uh, the Acropolis were, you know, they, they were recognised and reused to some extent. Um, and and uh, so, as you suggested, the um, the Ottomans showed up. What year did they conquer Athens? Well, I mean, I mean, now, take 1460. I mean, you know, shortly, you know, Mehmed the Conqueror shows up. Um, you know, he makes a tour of the Peloponnese. Uh, he appears in Athens. He is described by one uh, historian as a great Philhellene who very much appreciates the um, the, the, the ancient Greek monuments. Um, and certainly, I mean, for the first sort of 150 years or so of Ottoman rule, uh, there is actually a modest revival in the fortunes of the town. Um, so, you know, from the very late 15th century through the 16th century, uh, what you have is a modestly flourishing Ottoman town. Um, and then the, the, the final era of Ottoman rule is quite dark. Uh, you have some quite cruel uh, Ottoman rulers, and you also have a, a, an intense uh, interest on the part of the West Europeans in everything to do with Athens. Um, and, and so then, so, so we fast forwarded to 1821, to the, yeah, yeah. the Greek, the so-called Greek Revolution, the first real nationalist revolution, I guess, certainly in Southeastern Europe in the 19th century certainly not the last. Um, how central was Athens to the Greek revolution of 1821? I mean, look, in some ways, not that central. I mean, there were many, many fronts to the revolution. Uh, and I suppose, you know, the, the one thing that didn't change is that, you know, Athens has strategic importance. The Acropolis has strategic importance. Um, it's almost impossible to take the Acropolis by conventional military means. Um, and so it matters who controls the Acropolis. 
and it, and the Acropolis changed hands several times uh, in in the course of the Independence War. Um, but it, I, mean, I wouldn't say it was the most important front in that multi-fronted war. Interestingly, uh, it was the last place that the Ottomans abandoned sort of in any part of central Greece. So in 1833, I mean, way after fighting had stopped elsewhere, um, you know, the, the, the last Ottoman soldier sort of, you know, uh, straggled down from the Acropolis and handed the place over. Some of the marketing material on Athens these days describes Athens as the historic historical capital of Europe. As I said, you you describe it in your book as the city of wisdom. How did we get from 1821, where Athens was, as you say, on a rather peripheral player in the Greek Revolution, to Athens becoming once again the dominant city by far in Greece? Um, the the place. I, I, how does it break down in terms? How many people live in Athens, and how many people live in Greece today? Well, or, I mean, the answer to you know, roughly four million and roughly eleven million. Um, so you know, oh, it's it's an astonishing. Uh, so more than a third of Greek people living in modern Greece live in Athens. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yes. Well, greater Athens, and that is both sort of Athens proper and Piraeus, and the sort of the uh, you know various dormitory towns. If it, it, it form a single conurbation, and you know certainly four million people live there. Um, one of the uh, one of the headlines uh, for you, the review of your book describes your Athens as wise, grumpy, happy, and fragile. Are those four words useful in making sense of the modern 200-year history of Athens since independence? Well, it's certainly been highly turbulent, uh, and it has reflected the, you know, the, the, the turbulence of the wider Greek world. I mean, in, in a sense, you can read modern Greek history as the gradual emergence of Athens as the center and the hub uh, of Hellenism. Uh, and you know, when Greece became independent... What's Hellenism? Uh, what does that mean? It's yeah, a word that we often hear. You know, people of Greek you know, culture and nationhood, and um, including a diaspora, which was you know, widely spread across the East Mediterranean, uh, you know, from Alexandria to Odessa to, and of course, you know, the, the great ports of the Ottoman Empire. I mean, it, 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 in the 19th century, um, you know, to use Greek term, terminology, you know, Smyrna and Constantinople were much, much bigger centers of Greek population and commerce than anywhere in the small kingdom of Greece was, um, uh, and, 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 and you had people at times migrating from the kingdom of Greece to the flourishing Greek communities of Smyrna and Constantinople or, or other places, uh, because there were more... Uh, or Salonika, um, I'm, I'm sure you're uh, familiar with uh, Mark Mazawi's yeah, City yes. of Ghosts, Christians, Very Muslims and Jews. Indeed, um, yeah. How does Athens compare with Salonika, Salonika being very much of the second city in Greece. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, in a sense, it's been Salonika's fate to be the second city, you know, in in, in different situations. It was it was sort of at, at times, you know, the second city in in the Ottoman Empire. It was the most sophisticated place in the in the European holdings of, of the Ottoman Empire. Um, and even today, it's sometimes called the Simplutevosa, the co-capital. Of course, it's it's much much smaller than Athens now, um, and uh, I suppose more it, ghosts. Uh, more the more, subtitle yes, yes, "City yes, of yes, Ghosts." Yes. Are there more ghosts in Salonika than there are in Athens? Um, probably yes. I mean, it, 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 in the sense that uh, you know, in contrast with Athens, Salonika never ceased to be uh, you know a, a, a moderately important town or city 
and, and, and a nodal point for population movements. It was a very, very important center of Jewish population, a Spanish-speaking Jewish population, right. uh, you know, un un until the Second World War. And of course, uh, Athens and Salonika were both uh, occupied uh, by the Germans. Uh, one question, Bruce. Um, yeah. uh, uh, as I said, um, last week we talked to Tim Marshall talking about the power of geography. Marshall reminds us of the importance of geography in making sense of things. Hmm. When you look at the geography of Athens, it, it appears as if Athens is a Balkan city. And when you go to modern Athens, it's not that different from Belgrade um, uh, or even Sarajevo in, in a curious kind of way, given its layers of history. Why don't we think of Athens as Balkan in the way as we think of Serbia or Albania or Macedonia or even Romania, Bucharest? Oh. Well, I mean, Athens is Balkan, and you know, I mean, Andreas Papandreou, who I observed so closely as Prime Minister, you know, he used to say, you know, uh, we are a European, uh, a Mediterranean, and a Balkan country, and he was very emphatic about that. And what are those? Um, I mean, how would you distinguish, as an old hmm. economist hand in hmm. Southeast Europe, what's the difference between a Balkan city and um, an East Mediterranean one or a Southeast European one? Well, look, I mean, I, I, I think that Athens, greater Athens, including Piraeus, I mean, it, it has a very, an extrovert quality. Uh, and it's, you know, it has always flourished as an extrovert place. Uh, in other words, very much oriented to the sea. I mean, you know, Piraeus is a very important center for merchant shipping, you know, for shipping finance, shipping law, uh, and, you know, at, at a simple level, a place where ferries leave for, you know, every corner of the Aegean. Um, and so there is an extrovert quality to Athens, uh, and it, it, it can only flourish uh, as an extrovert and seagoing, you know, maritime-oriented place. And you know, perhaps that's the bigger, the biggest difference with with, with the Balkans, uh, or the re the rest of the Balkans. Um, Are you suggesting I, that a typical Balkan city is inward looking? Is well, I, not I, I think. Well, look, I think it has that connotation, um, no, rightly or wrongly. Um, yeah. One of my, uh, by the way, one of my favorite um, books on the area is uh, the Balkan trilogy by Olivia Manning. I'm not sure if you've read it. Um, it's a a wartime narrative of a young woman's experience in the Balkans. Indeed, yeah, yes. Yeah, There's yeah, no yeah. section on uh, Athens. There is, of course, one on, on Bucharest. So uh, yes, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. maybe we need uh, a fourth book in the Balkan trilogy, which would include Athens. Yes. Um, Bruce, uh, recently I had uh, my old friend Yanis Varoufakis on the show. Oh, yes. Uh, a yeah. long time, um, a very influential Greek economist, uh, yes, he was yes. the uh, ec uh, economics minister in, in the crisis, now yes, a yes. futurist and a general sort of global polemicist. Um, you lived in Athens, I think, during the sovereign debt crisis of 2007 and eight, which Varoufakis made his name in. Well, I How came. I, visited, I didn't live. I came often. I guess I came quite often. Okay, well, you 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 wrote about it. You you yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you closely yes, followed uh, Athens yeah, yeah, in yes, that yeah, time. Yeah, 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 yes, I spent yeah. a lot of time actually in Athens in that period. Oh, yes, Lots yeah. of newspaper reports, perhaps some written by you at the Economist of yes, yeah. the terrible poverty and homelessness. Mm. How much did that sovereign crisis of two thousand and seven eight affect Athens? Is it still 
a place reeling, recovering from the debt crisis, from the, the euro crisis? Well, I mean, w w when I was researching this book, uh, it was 2018, 2019. Um, and so, you know, the time when I hit Athens was a time of, uh, in some ways, quite spectacular recovery. You know, there was a real sense uh, with every passing day of you know, life coming back into the city uh, and, you know, li li life being quite fun again. Um, but, I mean, it, it was a very uneven and sort of unequal kind of recovery. Um, and, you know, if one thing remained from the crisis, uh, it was the fact that you know, certain areas, you know, went up in prestige and value uh, and certain, you know, previously quite respectable areas of Athens really, really you know, uh, hit the doldrums and didn't easily emerge from those doldrums. Um, so in, in the sense of there being uh, quite acute inequality, actually worse inequality than I remember from my, my student days, you know, that, that, that is certainly one legacy of the crisis. Bruce, um, you've written a very important book, Athens, City of Wisdom, a history, which is also an account, I think, of contemporary Athens. For people watching this who haven't been to Athens or who may have been, but only have visited the Acropolis and maybe Penings, and maybe the Penix, any suggestions on where to go to capture an Athens which many people don't know about? Once you, of course, reveal that, then everyone will know about it. But what are your little secrets of Athens, contemporary Athens? Well, first of all, let me mention one of the ancient sites, which is perhaps the least visited, but in some ways the most beautiful and inspiring, the Keramikos Cemetery, so-called, um, which is uh, uh, a, 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 a wonderfully quiet and serene place, uh, although, you know, you, you, you can hear the, you know, the Athens traffic in the, in the background, um, but you can actually see some of the sacred geography of ancient Athens. You can see where people gathered for the Panathenaic procession, the religious ritual which culminated in the Acropolis. Uh, you, you can see where people left the city for the mysterious rites of Eleusis. Um, so um, add to the list of antiquities, the Karam Karamikos Cemetery, that's one bit of advice. And then maybe sort of, you know, uh, uh, one of the glories of Athens is that you know, the, 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 the suburbs and the districts, which are villages in themselves, um, places like uh, Pankrati, Fairly Central, um, which you know have, have their favourite old tavernas, which have been functioning, you know, for a hundred years or so in, in the hands of one family, um, and you know, and uh, places that have grown spontaneously as opposed to through planning. Um, and there are, you know, it, it changes, uh, but you know, in, in, in the in the outskirts of Athens, as you go further and out, you, you you get lovely little sort of quasi villages. Uh, with 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 their own family tavernas and uh, do a bit of exploring and find one of those. What about the ethnography of Athens, uh, Athens and Greece generally has been in the news over the last few years because it's uh, a place where many refugees from the Middle East, from Afghanistan and Iraq, have have escaped from your first book, Twice a Stranger: um, How Mass Expulsion. Um, forged modern Greece and Turkey. So you're an authority on expulsions and on the human suffering associated with that. To what extent has Athens become a, a sort of a, a, a contemporary place for people's escaping the suffering of um, injustice? Well, it has certainly attracted a huge number of economic migrants. 
um, of, of whom, you know, those who came in dramatic circumstances in, you know, boat people, so to speak, they're, they're only a tiny proportion of the migrants who've arrived in Athens. Um, you know, the, 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 well, the, the great majority have arrived, you know, by um, you know, possibly illegally, but certainly not not in such dramatic ways. Uh, and it's an it's an extraordinary contrast, but with the Athens that I knew as a student, um, that yes, as you say, there is a substantial African population, there's a Middle Eastern population, there's a, there's a Chinese population even, um, and you know, as always, you know, this there are creates tensions, but also you know, some extraordinary cases of kind of fusion and cross-fertilization. Um, and one of the things that I enjoyed documenting when I was in Athens recently is how you know, youth culture um, in, in, in Athens has been influenced by the you know, African rappers, for example, um, you know, how you know, Greek cuisine has been influenced by the Japanese, how you know, the Chinese have taken over sections of the, the, the retail sector in Athens. Um, and, and, and so, you know, the, uh, but at the same time, there was the rise of a very nasty neo-fascist movement. In the right, and I, I wanted to end, actually, on that neo-fascist yeah. movement. My old friend Soli Ozel, I don't know if you know him, a Turkish political analyst. <laughs> um, uh, he, he was on the show recently, and he spoke very highly of what's happened in, in Greece in terms of uh, neo-Nazism. We've had a lot of stories on the rise. What is it called? The uh, not the uh, the Dawn um, Golden, Golden Dawn, the Golden yes, Dawn yes, Party. Yes. But in contrast yes. to Hungary and Poland and Serbia yes. uh, and certainly Turkey, ne the neo-Nazi movement seems to have failed in Greece. Is there some truth to that? Have the Greeks pushed back against this intolerant nationalism that seems to have gripped much of the rest of uh, southeastern and eastern Europe? Well, um, I mean, the leaders of Golden Dawn have been locked up. Uh, you know, I mean, they, 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 they would and they hopefully the key thrown away, Bruce. Well, indeed, many, many would say that. Many would say that. I mean, of course. Um, and look, I mean, I suppose to some extent, you know, some of the the rhetoric of you know ethno nationalism has been drawn into the political mainstream. Um, uh, and you know uh, 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 the ruling party in in Greece now is a party of the centre right, uh, New Democracy, which but isn't you, a Nazi, though. To be fair, no, no, certainly not by no means, and they have an absolutely creditable record in 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 in, in rejecting that. But 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 if you were to look on the kind of the the, the further out fringes of New Democracy, you would find um, you know a, 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 a nationalist rhetoric. That sort of absorbs some of the energy uh, that was perhaps, you know, uh, flowing towards Golden Dawn at one point, um, uh, and so, and, and, and you know, and, and I, 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 I say that not in criticism of, of the Prime Minister or, or implication that he's a kind of crypto, um, you know, s supporter of Golden Dawn in any sense, whatever. No, um, but you know, the, the fact is that that some of that, you know, nationalist energy has been absorbed into into mainstream policy politics. Well, energy, uh, certainly a lot of that, not only in contemporary Greece, but certainly in Athens. And there's a lot of energy in our Bruce Clark's new history, Athens, City of Wisdom, a history, a wonderful book. Bruce, thank you so much. Congratulations on the book. Um, and uh, we will look forward to talking to you again about uh, Southeastern Europe, the Balkans, Eastern Mediterranean, fascinating region of the world. Keep well, Bruce. Happy New thank Year. You. We'll talk to you much again. Enjoy. In the thank you so All much. Thank you so much. Fine. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.